Good morning, Oikos. How are you doing this morning? Awesome. We are in the third week of our series, Paul's First Sermon. So if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been going through his first sermon, just little by little, and we, as he engaged his first sermon, just kind of a real quick recap, he was telling the synagogue that he was in that Jesus was the Messiah. So he's entering enemy territory, you could say, and announcing that the one that you rejected is the one that can save you. And so as he stood up before all these Jews and God-fears, or people who were not Jewish, but they kind of had an affinity towards Yahweh. They wanted this one God. They'd rejected the, the multi-gods that they had seen through the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, and they were saying, we want one God. And this Jewish sect seems to have that. So we're going to go into this. Well, they all are listening to Paul and Barnabas as they come up and say, look, the guy that you killed is the guy that saves you. He's the Messiah. And as they begin to receive this, you would think that Paul then would come in at the end of the sermon and he would just say, you know what? God loves you. Go on in his peace. Does that sound a good way to end? Does that sound like a good way to end? But he doesn't. This is how he ends. So go into your Bibles, Acts. You're going to Acts chapter 13. We're in the last part of his sermon. And then we see the results of this sermon. And I think it's appropriate for us today because sometimes we forget how much God's word can sting and at the same time bring life. Acts chapter 13, verse 40. He quotes a prophet, an ancient prophet, Habakkuk. Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Isn't that a great way to end the sermon? Right? Look, be amazed and die. Amen. So let's get into Habakkuk, because sometimes what Paul did is he took Habakkuk's message and he condensed it. So we're going to go to the Habakkuk. You'll find that in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. It's a very short book, only three chapters. Chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 3. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry. But you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Really, this word from the prophet Habakkuk is a modern-day message for us of what we see today. We see people who are fighting and arguing. In fact, I read an article this, this last week on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so how many of you have seen someone post something really stupid on Twitter? A bad tweet? And then they wish they could take it back? Or you, you make a comment on Facebook, and the good thing is that you can delete it, but it's out there, right? Well, there's this thing going on right now in our culture 
in about the 1600s in Europe and in the United States, shaming was part of the way that they would make sure people would follow the laws. So if you broke one of their moralistic laws, so you broke the moral code of that society, they would shame you and they would put you, you know, kind of like, I hope I don't have feedback, but they'd put your hands in the shackles and you'd be out here and you'd be in the public square. People would get to throw stuff at you, spit at you, all that kind of stuff. And you would be seen as shamed that you should never be this person or this would happen to you. A famous book, right? The Scarlet Letter. She was an adulteress, so she had to wear a big red A on her vest, naming her adulteress, a shaming practice, so that no one else would commit adultery. Did it work? Probably not. But we used it. Well, they noticed that in the 18th century, as this practice started to move out of the norm, and as we became more urbanized, it became less effective because if you put someone that no one knows in the square, no one cares. No one says anything. They don't even know who they are. So what if someone walks around with a big OA? Whatever. Right? So we got out of the practice of shaming. But in the new dawn of Twitter and Facebook, it has started again. So this young girl made this tweet. And her intention was actually the opposite of how it was received. But within about five hours, over 100,000 people had responded, asking for the company that she worked for to fire her for that tweet. By the time she got off of the airplane, she was called by her office in the United States. She had lost her job, and she had death threats from people. Public shaming has re-engaged, and I think as we look at Habakkuk, why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The next time you want to make a comment on somebody's Facebook, ask yourself, does this bring Jesus into this? Or does this just bring more hate? The next time you make a tweet, ask yourself, does this do anything for the kingdom of God? Or is this about me? Is it about me making me feel better? Good question. He continues in verse 4, The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. No one cares about virtue or honor. When you talk about our moralistic codes, we could say in our country we've lost most of them. In fact, I think all we have to do is look at the box office, and I don't want you to raise your hands if you already went and saw Fifty Shades of Grey. But even the title itself says that we no longer honor virtue. We have no code because everything is gray. And yet our country, I think it 
I think about $30 million or something on their opening night. The country says it's okay. Because what may be not right is okay for me. The laws become paralyzed, meaning the law really doesn't matter anymore. This is what Habakkuk was seeing a thousand years ago, over two thousand years ago. He was seeing that the law meant nothing to people. The codes that God had given, the life that God had given his people, they looked at him and said, it doesn't matter anymore because we're going to do it our way. What's the Lord's response to all this? Verse 5, he says, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. Here's the quote that Paul brings in. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you won't believe, even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cru cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their char charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. So what God does is he sends those who are the same as his people. Remember just a few verses before? The law means nothing. All you do is fight and argue and have hate. So I will send a people that resemble what you've become. But they're more powerful than you. And they will wipe you from the face of this earth. Now we'll read this and we'll say your first intention may be, man, God is hard. That doesn't sound like a loving God to me. But God did this so that he could win back a few. Because if he didn't do this, he would lose them all. He did this so that a remnant could be saved. Because the whole group of his people had walked away. They had turned on him and said, you're no longer our God. Everything is great, and you no longer matter. And that is how Paul ended his sermon. The question for you is, what is God doing in your life right now? I want you to just take a moment and think about that. Has he sent someone that maybe be that may have brought his truth to you that you do not like to hear? Has he brought some violence into your life that you really reject? But it actually has brought out part of his truth. Is he calling you even while you've been walking away? What is God doing in your life?
I think for us this morning, the Lord is asking us, what is it going to take for us to actually repent and turn back to him? For you, it may be a small area of your life, or maybe it's your whole life. But I hear God calling us in these ancient words of Habakkuk, reminding us as we hate, as we love these things like Fifty Shades of Grey, as we contribute to a society that doesn't do the things of the Lord, that does the opposite, when will we turn back to Him? I think many sermons would not have followed Paul's example today. In fact, most sermons you hear today, they will go from Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again and you are saved. So now go out and be happy and be merry. And just forget about the rest of this stuff. Jesus loves you. The end. But for some reason, Paul looked at these people, and even though they had received Christ, he said, there's a warning. Look at your history. Just as you turn to God in a mere few years, your history, your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers, they turned away. There's a warning for the people. Just as you turn to Jesus, it is just as easy to turn away. Just as you begin to choose to follow the ways and the works and the words of Jesus, it's just as easy for you to turn and follow the ways and the words and the works of either yourself or someone who is not Jesus. So when will we repent of those things turn back to the Lord. So what is the response of the people? Because I think a lot of individuals here would go, man, if you'd end a sermon like that, no one would come to your church. If you end a sermon like that, remind people of repentance and the warning of what their heritage has brought them. They go, man, that's a downer. I don't want to go there. I want to go somewhere where it's like, just reminds me of how happy I should be. And some of you are sitting there right now going, yeah. I chose to come here this morning and I just was told that I should repent. I actually don't want to repent. Well, this is the response. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged. The people begged them to speak about these things again. The people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Something is different here. I hope you're catching this. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed. So they asked, we want to be your disciples, Paul and Barnabas. Followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace 
of God. What is the grace of God? It's centered on the message that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. That he's brought us a new life in him. And that life is eternal. So they tell him, don't rely on us. Rely on that message. But look at the full counsel of the Lord. Because he saves you for something, not just from something. Verse 44, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Remember how he ended his last sermon, or his first sermon? The last words. You'll be amazed and die. So why did the whole city come out? The whole city came out because they saw that they were actually be, they were coming close to God. In the presence of Paul and Barnabas, because they gave the full counsel of God, they began to see the fullness of God. One who stuck with the Israelites, even though time after time after time after time after time threw God away like trash. When you get the fullness of God, then you realize that that message that was for the Israelites is as true for us today. The time after time after time after time, we throw God away like trash. But God stays with us to be thrown away again. The moment we go, your ways are not good enough for me. I'm going to choose my own way. God gets thrown away, and then he waits for us to return. That's the message for us. God loves you that much, even in your hatred for him. And you go, wait a minute, Pastor Lytle. I don't hate God. That's crazy. But when you are not doing his ways... When you're not saying his words, when you're not doing his works, you are saying, I don't want you. I want something else. Amen? Amen? See, once you own it, you're going to claim it. And once you've claimed it, you confess it. And once you confess it, God forgives it. And he says, my mercies are new today. My mercies are new in this moment. So though you may have thrown me away like trash this morning, I am here again to be received like a precious gift. Who wants a gift of God to get today? He's here for you. In simple repentance and turning to him. So the whole city turned out because they heard this full counsel of God. And I, what I believe, this is my own commentary within this verse, is that they went home and the family members, their oikos at home that didn't hear about, didn't go to the synagogue that day, they went out and they said, you've got to hear this guy Paul and Barnabas because they actually talk about the God who forgives. And even though we have utterly scorned him, he still wants us. 
So we want you to come and listen to Paul and Barnabas preach about God. That's all they had, right? Paul and Barnabas, that's all they had was preaching about God. And then they went out and they told their neighbors and they told their business partners and they told the people that they sold things to. You got to come here, Paul and Barnabas. The whole city turns out. Wow. I had to ask the question, you know, did Paul and Barnabas, did they set up an awesome VBS that next week? Is that what they thought of and said, oh my gosh, we have, we have to do something so we can get the whole city? Did they go, oh man, we haven't got a Sunday school yet, so let's set up a Sunday school? Because if we don't have a Sunday school, people won't come. Did they go, oh, our chairs are a little too hard. So we need to make sure we put cushions on them. Because if we don't put cushions on them, the whole city won't turn out. Wait a minute. We didn't, we don't have enough Bible studies arranged, so people can't choose a selection of them. We better put those together or the whole city won't turn out. We better have the best band. And the sound better be very good or the whole city won't turn out. Paul, you better work on your message next week and don't end it like you did last week. You need to give a little bit more love this week or the whole city won't turn out. Man, Paul, we don't even have a building. The whole city won't turn out unless we have the best building, right? I don't think we have any lights. Maybe we should go out and buy some more candles just in case. Otherwise, the whole city won't turn out. Wait a minute, we don't have a youth group even. Well, we kind of do, but it's not the coolest one. The whole city won't turn out. Now, are all these things bad? No. I mean, obviously, we have some lights and we've got some stuff. I did work on my message this week. We look for ways to care for people. But the emphasis is much different here. The way they grew the message of the kingdom of God was not by trying to make everyone comfortable. In fact, Paul and Barnabas did the opposite. They gave the full counsel of God knowing that it would not sit well with people. And then they let God do his thing. They let God work in the hearts of the individuals. And as he worked in their hearts and brought to repentance, they knew that there was no other place to go but to hear the word of the Lord. And that was enough. Did you hear that? They came to hear the word of the Lord, and that was enough. The question for us and the rest of the churches here in America and across the globe, is the word of the Lord enough? Or do we need a whole lot of other things in order for us to hear the word of the Lord? 
that's out, right? What happens when we start thinking that we, the word of the Lord isn't enough is that we do the thing called church shopping. So we begin church shopping to find the church that offers us the most. Rather than looking for where God is calling us to offer the most of us. We go church shopping to go see which church will offer the most for us rather than than looking for a church where we can offer the most of us. Not for us. Now, not all church shopping is bad. So, if you're church shopping because you're looking for, are they giving the full counsel of God? Are they discipling people? Are they loving people? Do they care about one another? Are they exemplifying what the church is? Awesome. But when we start looking for churches saying, man, this is just not comfortable for me. I want you to put up a red flag and go, you know what? It's not supposed to be. God's word isn't comfortable. It's not meant to make you just go, oh, I feel so much better today every day. No, you're supposed to look at yourself and go, man, I need a savior today. I need Jesus today. We look for things and we look for convenience because God's word isn't enough in our lives. And so if the law that I'm bringing to you today needs to be clarified, it's, is God's word enough in your life? Or are you looking for other things? And what God wants to tell you is, my word is everything. It seems that in Acts, as the church was being founded, the people didn't come because they wanted to be made comfortable. They got excited because they heard that they could come close to God. And that all the barriers that had been set up in their lives had been taken down that they no longer had to sacrifice huge amounts of their wealth and their life to be forgiven, that it had been accomplished in the work of Jesus. And God was saying, come and be home. Come home with me. And this is kind of a rough message this morning because I'm speaking to all of us. That the moment we turn church into something that makes us comfortable is the moment that we start shoving God's word out of the picture and asking for something that probably won't bring life transformation to us. Verse 45. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. 
So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. What happens when you start saying God's word isn't enough? This exact thing happens. You begin to argue against everything that is said because you're arguing against the word of God. You're wanting something beyond what God has said. This is what it is. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. So in case you didn't know it, Oikos Church does not exist to make you comfortable. Amen? You should have a smile. Like, embrace that. It's a good thing. Is it a good thing? Don't lie in church. But it's okay to kind of go, you know, I, I want it to be a good thing right now, but I don't know if I am there yet. But I'm willing to let the Lord lead me into it. I want to be comfortable. I mean, I want to be comfortable. But the Lord doesn't always want me to be comfortable. He wants me to know his son Jesus. And he'll do whatever it takes to get me there. We do do the things here where we will speak about the, what I call the nicey-nice stuff. I'll remind you that God loves you that he gave everything up for you, that he sees you as beautiful and precious, because all that is true. But there's another part of the counsel of God, and that's the counsel of when you walk away from me, things will not be good for you. Even when you think that they will be, it will come crashing down into destruction. If we don't have the full counsel of God, we don't see the full picture of God. And if you don't see the full picture of God, it's very difficult to come close to God. Because regardless of whatever circumstance he hands you, when you see the full counsel of God, you see that though he disciplines, he loves. Though there may be tragedy, there's comfort. Though there may be sickness, there's restoration. That's the full counsel of God. Now, are you willing to turn your life over to that counsel? So what is God doing in your life? Comes back to that question. And I will tell you, if you're not going to the full counsel of God, it's probably very difficult to see what he's doing in your life. If you're making church about what it gives you instead of what you bring to it as servants of the one who saved you. You're probably not seeing what God is doing for you and what he's done this last week, what he did this morning, what he did 
in these last, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes. My prayer for you this morning is that your hearts are uneasy. Uneasy in a good way. That you think about, why am I a follower of Jesus if I claim to be? Is it because he called me into his presence? He shed his blood for me. He forgave me. And then identified me as one of God's children. Or is it because I want to feel good? Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. My prayer for all of us at Oikos Church is that we would pull together as we see Jesus living in one another. That we'd be able to speak the full counsel of God to each other. That what love means is not that you just go and give people hugs all the time. It's, that's a part of it. That's a visible sign of love. But what love also means is that you bring the truth of God to people. Even when it's hard. That you let them hear what God is saying to them. Even when you don't want to speak it. And then you stay with them. Just like the Lord does with us. That's how you follow the ways and the works and the words of Jesus. Jesus saved us even when we rejected him. So even when you speak something to someone and it's the truth of God and they don't want to hear it and they say, you are the spawn of Satan, get out of my life, which I will tell you that I've been told. You ready yourself to step back in their life and stand with them again, just like the Lord does with us. That's the way of Jesus. His words are very clear. He doesn't tell the woman at the well, your life is perfect. I'll give you a hug. Everything's good. No, he tells her the truth. You've had a whole bunch of husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. She tries to avoid it, like we do. But then she receives his full counsel, his words. And she spreads his message, not hers, throughout that region. That's how you have the words of Jesus. And the works of Jesus occur when... You go into a spot where 
everyone thinks it's impossible. And not to bring glory to yourself, but be, bring glory to his kingdom. You step in and let the work, the spirit of the Lord work a miracle. Those are the works of Jesus. If something good happens, if something great, miraculous happens, it's not because Aaron said the right framework of words. It's because Aaron stepped back and let Jesus step forward. And Jesus broke into the life of that individual or the lives that were watching and said, I am here. That's the works of Jesus. My prayer is that you want the ways, the works, and the words of Jesus in your life. You want that in your life? Say amen. Wake up. Wake up, people. Say amen. That's for some of you out there that I see. <laughs> Wake up and say amen. This is a message. This is the word of the Lord. Remember what it said in the verses as we began. The people were amazed. That even though this message was about dying, Paul said amen and he walked out. They wanted more. They wanted the word of God. I, my prayer for you is that your heart would so push out all this other crap that you let in. That all these 50 shades of gray and all this other stuff that attract our attention, that you would push it out and you'd say, I want more of the word of God that all the activities that we could be doing, we would push those out and we'd say, I want more of the community of God. I want to see Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us as we looked at Paul's first sermon. It's hard words. And as easy as it is for me to say that I want you, Jesus, it's just as easy for me to walk away. So, Lord, I pray for each of us in here that you would remind us how awesome it is to be in your presence, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day. Lord, help us to dig into your word, just to open what we now have as the Bible, which is your word, that we look at some of the prophets and what they spoke about, and we'd see the history that we come out of. And where we, where we need to be warned, Lord, that we would take the warning seriously. And that we'd fear you with righteous fear. Because you do everything. And when you bring stuff into our life that we don't want, when there's this when we don't even want to say that you brought a sickness into our life, that if we realize it is from you for us to wake up and come closer to your throne, to realize that our life is in your hands and not our own, Lord, allow our heart to be formed that way, to receive those words, to receive you. Help us to put away this whole childish proposition that we need to have a whole bunch of things to make worship happen. Because the only thing we need is you and your words. 
Help us to live as your people. Help us to live as your people. In your name we pray. Amen.